0: But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on patreon.com. Francis Siemens, Josh Phil Malter, Tara Merkel, and Jay Danias. Thank you all so, so much for being a part of making this show. And for those of you who don't know, all the names that I just read are new patrons on patreon.com, which is a really great site where you can go on and support creators and the work that they make. So, if you like the Sleepy Podcast and maybe it's helped you get a better night's sleep, consider going to patreon.com and donating even a dollar a month. It goes a long way. Five dollars a month with the Sleepy Podcast gets you access to a special Patreon poetry feed where I send you poetry readings twice a month just for donating. So... If you want to be a part of making this show and helping people sleep and you want to have your name read in the opening credits of the next show, then go to patreon.com slash radio. Thank you. And as always, the music that you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski and the cover-up for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. A lot of times I just like going into the library and wandering around to see what books kind of speak to me that's a weird way to put that but the ones that seem appropriate for maybe the season or things that I've been thinking about and I just kind of wander through the aisles and check the copyright dates to make sure that they're in the public domain and tonight is one of those books that I saw and just felt like something that I should read. It wasn't uh, one of the recommendations that was in one of the reviews on Apple Podcasts, but it just has this beautiful old 60s cover with a picture of a boy and an old man smoking a pipe, and then a boat out in the ocean. Looks like they're fishing. So, the title of tonight's book is Captain's Courageous by Rudyard Kipling. I really like reading books on this show that I've never read, especially now that we're at 58 episodes. There's a lot of books that I don't know if I would have read if it weren't for this show. So I guess I have you to thank for that. <laughs> thank you for getting me to read. I hope this show has um, introduced you to books or reintroduced you to books that you really want in your life. All right, that is enough of me babbling. So, tonight's reading is Captain's Courageous by Rudyard Kipling. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Get real comfortable. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Their door of the smoking room had been left open to the North Atlantic fog as the big liner rolled and lifted, whistling to warn the fishing fleet. "'That Shane boy is the biggest nuisance aboard,' said a man in a freeze-overcoat, shutting the door with a bang. "'He isn't wanted here. He's too fresh.' A white-haired German reached for a sandwich and grunted between bites. I know their breed. America is full of that kind. I tell you you should import ropes ends free under your tariff. Pshaw! There isn't any real harm to him. He's more to be pitied than anything. A man from New York drawl as he lay at full length along the cushions under the wet skylight. They've dragged him around from hotel to hotel ever since he was a kid. I was talking to his mother this morning. She's a lovely lady. But you don't pretend to manage him. He's going to Europe to finish his education. Education is not begun yet. This was a Philadelphian, curled up in a corner. That boy gets 200 a month pocket money, he told me. He isn't 16 either. Railroads, his father, ain't it? Said the German. Yep. That and mines and lumber and shipping... Built one place in San Diego, the old man has. Another in Los Angeles, owns half a dozen railroads, half the lumber on the Pacific slope, and lets his wife spend the money. The Philadelphian went on lazily. The West don't suit her, she says. She just tracks round with the boy and her nerves, trying to find out what will amuse him, I guess. Florida Adirondacks, Lakewood, Hot Springs, New York, and around again. He isn't much more than a second-hand hotel clerk now. When he's finished in Europe, he'll be a holy terror. What's the matter with the old man attending to him personally, said a voice from the freeze Ulster. Old man's piling up the rocks. Don't want to be disturbed, I guess. He'll find out his error a few years from now. Pity, because there's a heap of good in the boy, if you could get at it. Mid a ropes end, mid a ropes end, growled the German. Once more the door banged, and a slight, slim-built boy, perhaps fifteen years old, a half-smoked cigarette hanging from one corner of his mouth, leaned over in the high footway. His pasty yellow complexion did not show well a person of his years. And his look was a mixture of irresolution, bravado, and a very cheap smartness. He was dressed in a cherry colored blazer, knickerbockers, red stockings, and bicycle shoes, with a red flannel cap at the back of the head. After whistling between his teeth, as he eyed the company, he said in a loud, high voice, Say, it's thick outside. You can hear the fishboat squawking all around us. Say, wouldn't it be great if we ran down one? Shut the door, Harvey, said the New Yorker. Shut the door and stay outside. You're not wanted here. Who will stop me, he answered, deliberately. Did you pay for my passage, Mr. Martin? Guess I have as good as a right to be here as the next man. He picked up some dice from a checkerboard and began throwing, right hand against left. Say, gentlemen, this is deader and mud. Can't we make a game of poker between us? There was no answer, and he puffed his cigarette, swung his legs, and dropped on the table with rather dirty fingers. Then he pulled out a roll of bills, as if to count them. How's your mama this afternoon, a man said. I didn't see her at lunch. In her stateroom, I guess. She's most always sick on the ocean. I'm going to give her the stewardess $15 for looking after her. I don't go down more than I can avoid. It makes me feel mysterious to pass that butler's pantry place. Say, this is the first time I've been on the ocean. Oh, don't apologize, Harvey. Harvey. Who's apologizing? This is the first time I've crossed the ocean, gentlemen. And except the first day, I haven't been sick one little bit. No, sir. He brought down his fist with a triumphant bang, wetted his finger, and went on counting the bills. Oh, you're a high-grade machine, with a writing in plain sight, the Philadelphian yawned. You'll blossom into a credit to your country if you don't take care. I know it. I'm an American. First, last, and all the time. I'll show him that when I strike Europe. <sighs> My cig's out. I can't smoke the truck the steward sells. Any gentleman got a real Turkish cig on him. The chief engineer entered for a moment. Red, smiling, and wet. Say, Mac, cried Harvey cheerfully. How are we hitting it? Very much in the ordinary way, was the grave reply. The young are as polite as ever at their elders, and their elders are trying to appreciate it. A low chuckle came from the corner. The German opened his cigar case and handed a skinny black cigar to Harvey. That is the proper apparatus to smoke, my young friend, he said. You'll dry it? Yes. Then you'll be ever so happy. Harvey lit the unlovely thing with a flourish. He felt that he was getting on in grown up society. It would take more than this to keel me over, he said, ignorant that he was lighting that terrible article, a wheeling stoky. That we shall presently see, said the German. Where are we now, Mr. McDonnell? Just there, thereabouts, Mr. Schaefer, said the engineer. We'll be on the Grand Bank tonight, but in a general way of speaking, we're all among the fishing fleet now. We've shaved three dories and near-scalped the boom off a of Frenchman since noon. That's close sailing, you may say. You like my cigar, eh? The German asked, for Harvey's eyes were full of tears. Fine. Full flavor, he answered through shut teeth. Guess we slowed down a little haven't we? I'll skip out and see what the log says. I might if I boss you, said the German. Harvey staggered over the wet decks to the nearest rail. He was very unhappy, but he saw the deck steward lashing chairs together, and since he had boasted before the man that he was never seasick, his pride made him go aft to the second saloon deck at the stern. Which was finished in a turtle back. The deck was deserted, and he crawled to the extreme end of it near the flagpole. There he doubled up in limp agony, for the wheeling stogie joined with the surge and jar of the screw to sieve out his soul. His head swelled, sparks of fire danced before his eyes. His body seemed to lose weight while his heels wavered in the breeze. He was fainting from seasickness and a roll of the ship tilted him over the rail onto the smooth lip of the turtle back. Then a low, gray mother wave swung out of the fog, tucked Harvey under one arm, so to speak, and pulled him off and away to leeward. The great green closed over him and went quietly to sleep. He was roused by the sound of a dinner horn such as they used to blow at a summer school he had once attended in the Adirondacks. Slowly, he remembered that he was Harvey Chain, drowned and dead in the mid-ocean, but was too weak to fit things together. A new smell filled his nostrils. Wet and clammy chills ran down his back, and he was helplessly full of salt water. When he opened his eyes... He perceived that he was still on top of the sea, for it was running round him in silver-colored hills, and he was lying on a pile of half-dead fish, looking at a broad human back cloth and a blue jersey. It's no good, thought the boy. I'm dead, sure enough, and this thing is in charge. He groaned, and the figure turned his head showing a pair of little gold rings half-hidden in curly black hair. Aha. You feel some pretty well now, it said. Lie still, so we trim better. With a swift jerk, he sculled the flickering bowhead on the foamless sea that lifted her twenty feet, only to slide her into a glassy pit beyond. But this mountain climbing did not interrupt Blue Jersey's talk. Fine good job, I say, that I catch you. Yeah, what? Better good job, I say. Your boat not catch me. How you come to fall out? I was sick, said Harvey. Sick, and couldn't help it. Just in time I blow my horn, and your boat should yaw a little. Then I see you come all down. I think you are cut into baits by the screw. But you drift, drift to me, and I make a big fish of you, so you shall not die this time. Where am I? said Harvey, who could not see that life was particularly safe where he lay. You are with me, and the Dory Manuel, my name, and I come from Schooner We're Here of Gloucester. I live to Gloucester. By and by we get supper. Yeah, he seemed to have two pairs of hands and a head of cast iron, for not content with blowing through a big conch shell, he must needs stand up to it, swaying with the sway of a flat-bottomed dory, and send a grinding, thuttering sheik through the fog. How long this entertainment lasted, Harvey could not remember, for he lay back terrified at the sight of the smoking swells, He fancied he heard a gun and a horn shouting. Something bigger than the dory, but quite as lively, loomed alongside. Several voices talked at once. He was dropped into a dark, heaving hole where men in oilskins gave him a hot drink and took off his clothes, and he fell asleep. When he waked, he listened for the first breakfast bell in the steamer. "'wondering why his stateroom had grown so small. "'Turning, he looked into a narrow, triangular cave "'lit by a lamp hung against a huge square beam. "'A three-cornered table with an arm's reach "'ran from the angle of the bows to the foremast. "'At the after-end, behind a well-used Plymouth stove, sat a boy about his own age "'with a flat red face and a pair of twinkling gray eyes.' He was dressed in a blue jersey and high rubber boots. Several pairs of the same sort of footwear, an old cap, and some worn-out woolen socks lay on the floor, and black and yellow oilskins swayed to and fro beside the bunks. The place was packed as full of smells as a bale is of cotton. The oilskins had a peculiarly thick flavor of their own which made a sort of background to the smells of fried fish, burnt grease, paint, pepper, and stale tobacco. But these, again, were all hooped together by one encircling smell of ship and salt water. Harvey saw with disgust that there were no sheets on his bed place. He was lying on a piece of dingy ticking full of lumps and nubbles. Then, too, The boat's motion was not that of a steamer. She was neither sliding nor rolling, but rather wriggling herself about in a silly, aimless way, like a colt at the end of a halter. Water noises ran by close to his ear, and beams cracked and whined about him. All these things made him grunt despairingly and think of his mother. Feeling better, said the boy with a grin. Have some coffee. He brought a tin cup and sweetened it with molasses. Isn't there milk, said Harvey, looking round the dark double tier of bunks, as if he expected to find a cow there. Well, no, said the boy. Now there ain't likely to be any until about mid-September. Ain't bad coffee. I made it. Harvey drank in silence, and the boy handed him a plate full of pieces of crisp, fried pork, which he ate ravenously. I've dried your clothes. Guess they've shrunk some, said the boy. They and our style, much none of them. Twist round and see if you hurt anyway. Harvey stretched himself in every direction, but could not report any injuries. That's good, the boy said heartily. Fix yourself and go on deck. Dad wants to see you. I'm his son, Dan. They call me. And I'm Cook's helper, and everything else a bore that's too dirty for the men. There ain't no boy here who kept me since Otto went overboard, and he was only a duchy and twenty years old at that. How do you come to fall off in a dead flat calm? Twasn't a calm said Harvey sulkily. It was a gale, and I was seasick. Guess I must have rolled over the rail. There was a little common swell yesterday and last night, said the boy. But if that's your notion of a gale, he whistled, you'll know more before you're through. Hurry, Dad's waiting. Like many other unfortunate young people, Harvey had never in all his life received a direct order, never, at least, without long and sometimes tearful explanations of the advantages of obedience and the reasons for the request. Mrs. Chain lived in fear of breaking his spirit, which perhaps was the reason that she herself walked on the edge of nervous prostration. He could not see why he should be expected to hurry for any man's pleasure. And said so your dad can come down here if he's so anxious to talk to me i want him to take me to new york right away it'll pay him dan opened his eyes as the size and beauty of the joke that dawned on him say dad he shouted up the focal hatch he says you can slip down and see him if you're anxious that way here dad The answer came back in the deepest voice Harvey had ever heard from a human chest. Quit fooling, Dan, and send him up to me. Dan sniggered and threw Harvey his warped bicycle shoes. There was something in the tones on the deck that made the boy dissemble his extreme rage and console himself with the thought of gradually unfolding the tale of his own, his father's wealth, and the voyage home. This rescue would certainly make him a hero among his friends for life. He hoisted himself on deck up a perpendicular ladder and stumbled aft over a score of obstructions to where a small, thick-set, clean-shaven man with gray eyebrows sat on a step that led up to the quarter-deck. The swell had passed in the night, leaving a long, oily sea Dotted round the horizon with the sails of a dozen fishing boats. Between them, lay little black specks, showing where the dories were out fishing. The schooner, with a triangular riding sail on the mainmast, played easily at anchor. And except for the man, by the cabin roof house, they call it, she was deserted. Morning. Good afternoon, I should say. You've nice slept the clock around, young feller, was the greeting. Morning, said Harvey. He did not like being called a young feller, as one rescued from drowning expected sympathy. His mother suffered agonies whenever he got his feet wet, but this mariner did not seem excited. Now let's hear all about it. It's quite providential, first and last, for all concern. What might be your name? Where from? We mistrust it's New York. And where around? We mistrust it's Europe. Harvey gave his name, the name of the steamer in the short history of the accident, winding up with a demand to be taken back immediately to New York, where his father would pay anything, anyone, chose a name. "'Hm,' said the shaven man, quite unmoved by the end of Harvey's speech. "'I can't say we think special of any man, or boy even, that falls overboard from that kind of packet in a flat calm. "'Least of all, when is excuse that he's seasick?' "'Excuse,' cried Harvey. "'Do you suppose I'd fall overboard into your dirty little boat for fun?' Not knowing what your notions of fun may be, I can't rightly say, young feller. But if that was you, I wouldn't call the boat which, under Providence, was the meanest saving you, names. In the first place, it's blame irreligious. In the second, it's annoying to my feelings, and I'm Disco Troop, or We're here Hero Gloucester, which you don't seem rightly to know. I don't know, and I don't care, said Harvey. "'I'm grateful enough for being saved and all that, of course, "'but I want you to understand that the sooner you take me back to New York, "'the better it'll pay you.' "'Mean and how?' "'Troop raised one shaggy eyebrow over a suspiciously mild blue eye. "'Dollars and cents,' said Harvey, "'delighted to think that he was making an impression. "'Cold dollars and cents.' "'He thrust a hand into a pocket.' And threw out his stomach a little which was his way of being grand you've done the best day's work you ever did in your life when you pulled me in I'm all the son Harvey Chain has he's been favored said Disco dryly and if you don't know who Harvey Chain is you don't know much that's all now turn her around and let's hurry Harvey had a notion that the greater part of America was filled with people discussing envying his father's dollars. Maybe I do, and maybe I don't. Take a reef in your stomach, young father. It's full of my vittles. Harvey heard a chuckle from Dan, who was pretending to be busy by the stump foremast and the blood rushed to his face. We'll pay for that too, he said. When do you suppose we shall get to New York? I don't use New York any. Nor Boston, you may see Eastern Point about September. And your pa, I'm real sorry. I'd... And your pa, I'm real sorry. I ain't heard tell of him. You may give me ten dollars after all your talk. Then of course he may. Ten dollars. Why, see here, I. Harvey dived into his pocket for the wad of bills. All he brought up a soggy packet of cigarettes not lawful currency and bad for the lungs even overboard young feller and try again it's been stolen cried harvey hotly you have to wait till you see your pay to reward me then 134 dollars all stolen said harvey hunting wildly through his pockets give them back A curious change flitted over the old troop's hard face. What might you have been doing at your time of life with $134, young feller? It was part of my pocket money for a month. This, Harvey thought, would be a knockdown blow. And it was, indirectly. Oh, $134 is the only part of his pocket money. For one month only. You don't remember hitting anything when you fell over, do you? Crack against a station, let's say. Old man Haskin of uh, the East Wind. Troop seemed to be talking to himself. He tripped on a hatch and butted the mainmast with his head, hardish. About three weeks afterward, old man Haskin, he would have that the East Wind was a commerce-destroying man of war, and so he declared war on Sable Island because it was British and the shoals run out too far. They suit him up in a bed bag, his head and feet appearing for the rest of the trip, and now he's to home in Essex, playing with little rag dolls. Harvey choked with rage, but Troop went on consolingly. We're here for you. We're very sorry for you and So young. We won't say no more about the money, I guess. Of course, you won't. You stole it. Sue yourself. We stole it if it's any comfort to you. Now, about going back. Allowing we could do it, which we can't. You ain't no fit state to go back to your home. And we've just come onto the banks, working for her bread. We don't see the half a hundred dollars a month, let alone pocket money. And with good luck, we'll be ashore again somewhere as about the first weeks of September. But, but it's May now. And I can't stay here doing nothing just because you want to fish. I can't, I tell you. Right and just. Just and right. No one asks you to do nothing. There's a heap as you can do he went overboard on the half I mistrust he lost his grip in a gale we found there anyways he never came back to deny it you've turned up plain dumb plumb providential for all concern I mistrust though there's rather few things you can do ain't that so I can make it lively for you in your crowd when we get ashore, said Harvey, with a vicious nod, murmuring vague threats about piracy, at which Troop almost, not quite, smiled. Except talk. I forgot that. You ain't asked to talk more and you've had a mind to aboard that we're here. Keep your eyes open, and help Dan to do us. He's bit of such like. And I'll give you. You ain't worth it, but I'll give. Ten and a half a month, say thirty-five at the end of the trip. A little work will ease up your head, and you can tell us all about your dad, and your mom, and your money afterward. She's on the steamer, said Harvey, his eyes filling with tears. Take me to New York at once. Poor woman, poor woman. When she has you back, she'll forget it all, though. There's eight of us on the way here, and if we want to go back now, it's more than a thousand miles. We'll lose the season. The men, they wouldn't have it. Alana was agreeable. But my father would make it all right. He'd try. I don't doubt he'd try, said True. But a whole season's catch is eight men's bread, and you'll be better in your health when you see him in the fall. Go forward and help Dan. It's ten and a half a month, as I said. And of course, all fun. Same as the rest of us. Do you mean him to clean pots and pans and things, said Harvey. And other things. You've no call to shout, young feller. I won't. My father will give you enough to buy this dirty little fish kettle. Harvey stamped on the deck, ten times over, if you take me to New York safe. And, and, you're in a hundred and thirty by me anyhow. How, said True, the iron face darkening. How? You know how well enough. On top of all that, you want me to do menial work. Harvey was very proud of that adjective. Till the fall. I tell you, I will not. You hear? The troop regarded the top of the mainmast with a deep interest for a while as Harvey harangued fiercely all around him. Hush, he said at last. I'm figuring out my responsibilities in my own mind. It's a matter of judgment. Dan stole up and plucked Harvey by the elbow. "'Don't go tampering with Dad anymore,' he pleaded. "'You've called him a thief two or three times over, "'that he don't take that from any living being.' "'I won't,' Harvey almost shrieked, "'disregarding the advice, and still, troop meditated. "Seems kinder, unneighborly,' he said at last, "'his eye traveling down to Harvey. "'I don't blame you, not a mite, young feller.' nor you won't blame me when she biles out of your system. Be sure you sent what I say, ten and a half or second boy on the schooner, and all found for to teach you and for the sake of your health, yes or no. No, said Harvey. Take me back to New York, or I'll see you. He did not exactly re- remember what followed. He was lying in the scuppers, holding onto a nose that bled, while Troop looked down at him serenely. Dan, he said to his son, I was sought again this young feller when I first saw him on account of hasty judgments. Never you be led astray by hasty judgments, Dan. Now I'm sorry for him, because he's clear distracted in his upper works. He ain't responsible for the names he's given me, nor for the other statements, nor for jumping overboard, which I'm about half convinced he did. You be gentle with him, Dan, or I'll give you twice what I've give him. Them hemorrhages clears the head. Let him sluice it off. The troop went down solemnly into the cabin, where he and the older men bunked leaving Dan to comfort the luckless heir to 30 millions. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.